In studies of children born with congenital blindness who have had surgery to enable their eyes to take in light, it has been shown that learning to see is by no means a matter of simply restoring sight to the eyes. Seeing requires much more than functioning eyes. The project of seeing, as one researcher has said, inevitably leads to a psychological crisis in the life of the patient, one that can end with the rejection of sight. Children who have learned to see by touch and by hearing, accustomed as they are to knowing what something is by its feel, knowing who a person is by the sound of their voice, often remain unable to perceive the object or person without being able to touch or hear them. The deep frustration that this causes has led many to reject their newly received eyesight by keeping their houses dark and their eyes covered. Some have found it so painful that they give up on life altogether. What researchers have concluded is that, not unlike ancient understandings of light, taking in the light from the outside through the eyes is impossible without a well-formed inner light. Without this inner light, without a properly formed visual imagination, we remain blind. Consider this from the vantage point of our parable today, as well as the parable of the ten bridesmaids last week. Jesus tells that familiar parable of the talents. One slave is given five, another two, and another one. The first slave takes his talents and doubles them. The second takes his talents and does the same. The third takes his talent and... Well, fearing his master, he hides it in the ground and it lies dormant. It's not doubled. It doesn't increase at all. We know how this story goes. To the first two slaves, the master says, Great job, you've been faithful with a little bit and I'm going to give you more. And to the third, well, let's unpack this one, shall we? What's going on with that third slave? Why was he not able to double his talent? The third slave is afraid of being judged unworthy or useless by his master. He's anxious. His fear and anxiety stifles his ability to do anything with the talent he's been given. He is so afraid of losing what's entrusted to him that he cannot see how to increase its value or worth. I often read this parable and wonder what it might have looked like if he had taken his talent and thrown a party for the neighbors. He could have said to the master, hey, I threw a party, invited all your neighbors and all your friends to join the fun, knowing that you'd be gone for a while, and this way they'd be really excited about your return. The third slave, however, lacks 
even the necessary imagination to waste the money entrusted to him. He's not even creative enough to use it for his own pleasure. Once again, just like the parable of the ten bridesmaids, we often read this parable of the talents narrow-mindedly as a parable about separating the haves from the haves not. It is this parable, perhaps more than any other passage in Scripture, that is often co-opted by what Max Weber has termed the Protestant work ethic, where we take what we have and, as a matter of giving glory to God, we invest it in the market or elsewhere in order to reap where we did not sow. I would suggest to you that this is a cheap way of reading the parable. As the talents involved, much like the oil in the parable of the bridesmaids, it's not about money. What is the broad meaning of this parable then? The parable obviously has to do with increasing what's been given. It has everything to do with growing one's talent. I grew up in a church where talents in this parable were often interpreted as abilities, as in, she's pretty talented on the violin. These talents were understood as God-given, and if you didn't use your talents, they would be taken away. I was once even told that if I stopped practicing the saxophone, that God would take my talent for playing it away from me. And while I wouldn't give this too much thought, it is nonetheless safe to say that my skills on the saxophone have not progressed in any way since college when I stopped playing it. And I'm sure I'm not nearly as good now as I was then. Nevertheless, a talent in the first century is along the lines of 60 pounds of silver, give or take, worth about $21,000 today, or the equivalent of a Roman soldier's salary. You could throw a nice party with 20 grand. You could finally get that new kitchen you've always wanted. A lot of hungry people could be fed with $21,000. It would also make for a nice pledge, uh, given that it's pledge season. However you slice it, it's hard to imagine doing nothing with such a sum of money and everyone in earshot of Jesus' parable would have thought the same. Everyone would have been mystified that there was a servant who buried 60 pounds of silver in the ground so that it did nothing but become less valuable due to inflation. Honestly, if I'm the master in question, I'd feel a lot better if somebody took my money and had a little fun with it than I would be if he quite literally sat on it. I wonder if interpreting this talent and this parable is best as I was taught to do so as a child, making it a little more closer to the mark than the actual silver it represents. In other words, like the oil of gladness that filled the flask of the bridesmaids, the talents are the master's treasure given to the slaves so that attending to them in faith, they grow 
and increase to overflowing, doubling in value, such that we are even trusted with far more. The first two slaves saw great possibility. They looked at the talents they had been given, attended to them with faith. They practiced their instruments, as it were, and lo and behold, they doubled their talents, increased that value and increased their own value as a person. The third slave, however, who buried his talent, the one who kept his guitar locked in the case in the basement and never practiced, he attended only to what might happen if he lost the talent. He could not see the possibilities. He only saw the problem and what might go wrong with his investment. Rather than trusting in the gift he had received from the master, he trusted only in his own shortcomings and failures and therefore failed. His attention was not given to the trust the master had placed in him, but to his own distrust in himself. Reflecting on his eight-year-old patient who struggled to receive the vision of his newly gained eyesight, Dr. Von Sinden said that the cognitive capacities we now possess define our world. The prospect of growth is as much a prospect of loss. One must die in order to become. So we close our eyes and hold on to what we know. Suddenly this parable provides new insight into the state of humanity. Maybe you're older and the world around you is changing at what feels like the speed of light. You're feeling left behind by the economy, friends, family, politics. Maybe you've reached that point in your life that you're just tired and the challenges before you seem insurmountable. Maybe you've just had enough of COVID-19 and the isolation it has caused, and it's too much to bear. Where is your attention? Can you see the possibilities of God, or are you stuck in fear, anxiety, fixated on the problems that lie before you? Reflecting on his spacewalk with the Apollo mission, Rusty Schweikert said that if he could remove the spaceship from view, then even with the brightness of the sun and the light of the stars, space was filled with darkness. Without something attending to the light of the sun, something on which the light could land and rest. Darkness pervades. 
there is, as it were, an external light, the divine ray of Christ that shines forth, and there is the inner light of divinity that lies at the core of our being, the talent we are given by God, the oil of gladness, to the degree that we attend to our true selves as portions of God, the inner light we have received as creatures of the living God is the degree to which the light of Christ will rest upon us so that we will know Christ in all things and perceive the world of possibilities that God has made and is continually making in our midst. If we bury this truth, and hide it from ourselves, and hide it from others, attending only to what's wrong with us or what's wrong with everyone and everything else in the world, we will become as one who has lost his treasure, even though the inner light of God simply awaits our faithful attention, so to illumine the night. Amen.